from what I could tell, they were paying, at least the, the apprentices were being paid from the for-profit accountancy, but being counted as apprentices of the nonprofit. So in order to have a clear trail of doing that, there would have to be money exchanged back and forth or the money would be commingled, which is like a huge no-no. So, you know, I hope to God they didn't do that. So I know that if they if they were ever audited by the IRS, that would be an issue. And that, you know, by doing things that way, that tells me as a CPA that that's probably not the only thing that they're commingling or that they're, you know, paying one out of the other or, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul or whatever it is that they're doing, that the payroll situation is not one instance, that it's happening in other areas of the operation. Hi, my name is Henry Kronk. You are listening to Code Burst. Just a brief recap, the ongoing class action lawsuit filed against MindMinds has been dismissed. I went over how things have gone forward in the last episode, and I also interviewed Billy Jack Buzzard about his experience with the organization. Since posting, someone has made me aware of the fact that in the tweet in which Jonathan Graham announced that the lawsuit has been dismissed, Stephen New, one of the lawyers who represented Ty, Tory, and others, has responded with a few choice tweets. If anyone is looking for a more, let's say, nuanced legal explanation of what has gone down, I suggest you start there. For this episode, I got in touch with Susan Graves. She went through the Mind Minds program in West Virginia. When Amanda and Jonathan started out, they said they could teach anyone to code, even out-of-work coal miners. In the last episode, we heard how Billy Jack, an out-of-work coal miner, went above and beyond as a student in the program even after spending five days a week learning from Mind Minds, maneuvering his work schedule around the program, and going to work for them as an instructor and developer, he was abruptly fired for highly questionable reasons. He was left unable to demonstrate his work to tech companies, and despite his best efforts, has not found a job in the tech industry. Susan Graves also seemed like she was set up to succeed in Mind Minds. She had a background in computer science and had her own accounting practice which she could work flexibly while learning to code. Like Billy Jack, things did not pan out for her. I'm going to let Susan tell the rest. I am a CPA, a certified public accountant here in West Virginia in Um, I've been a CPA for about 25 years. The majority of my clients um, that I work with on a monthly basis are nonprofit organizations. Um, So I'm very, you know, very well versed in how a nonprofit should be set up, how it should be run, 
um, the majority of my actual working career, when I actually had a job, uh, were, were with nonprofit organizations in various capacities and finance capacities. But I started out my career in nonprofit fundraising. So I do know a little bit about that. I am getting closer and closer to retirement. As much as I hate it, I am. And I'm always looking for some kind of revenue stream that will take me into retirement and beyond. I figure I can do taxes until I drop dead. But I also want to have, you know, a variety of income streams. And so in... June or July of 2016, I read a very small article in the paper about this nonprofit organization that was coming to Charleston, West Virginia, to hopefully enroll students in a coding boot camp, um, and that they were having an informational meeting at the South Charleston Public Library at such and such date and time. And anybody who was interested to call this number to, you know, kind of pre-register. And I thought, you know, I have a minor in computer science, and I'm very well adept in using Windows-based computers. I've always had an interest in coding, um, have known enough about it to be really, really dangerous. But I thought, you know, I'm going to go see what this is all about. So I attended the informational meeting. There were quite a few people there. And I kind of liked the pitch that they gave. Um, the people that were there were Amanda Locker, Jonathan Graham, and Marvin Locker. And um, I talked to them and made the decision that night that I was going to enroll and, and I was going to make sure that I was in the boot camp. If we could go back, do you remember kind of what impression you had after you left that meeting? Oh, I was, I was very excited, very excited because, you know, we were going to learn how to design and create apps. And, you know, I really saw that as the future. Um, uh, for a time when I was younger, I lived in California in Silicon Valley. My brother currently works at and has worked at high tech firms that um, you, you know that that create like real apps for money. And um, so I was very very interested in learning more about that and just being able to be creative in a technical way. So I was very excited. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so then let's zoom forward to um, the first class. Uh, do you remember kind of uh, what impression you had, what experience you had uh, during those first few classes? Well, the very first class, we uh, there were a lot of people in that first class. Um, and, you know, they did some icebreaking type, type things. We played, you know, have you ever, have you never... And, you know, kind of got to know who we were in class with. It appeared that there were a lot of people that didn't know anything about computers. Um, there was one man that sat in the same row that had bought his computer for $50 at a pawn shop. And he it was a laptop. He didn't even know how to open <laughs> it. 
I'm, I'm literally, he did not know how to open the screen, the screen. And, you know, I, I still got the feeling that they were ready to teach everything, everybody, you know, everything that they needed to know about computers. Senator Manchin was there to welcome us and to talk about how excited he was to have my minds here in West Virginia. Halfway through the class, he came running back in class and with some people from Hewlett Packard, where he had been visiting them, and he dragged them over to our class. Wow. And, and said, you know, at the end of this class, you will, you know, you all could be working for Hewlett Packard. Here's these people. They're going to be opening some kind of facility here, and you could be the ones working for them. Okay. Um, so that first class, we came out of it, like, really pumped up and excited. And, and I, you know, I was just like, I'm ready to go. Come on, let's do this. You know, that kind of thing. And then, then of course, after the, you know, we met once a week um, at um, a local community college who donated classroom space. And after the first two to three weeks, the class size diminished greatly because I think that there were people out there that were that were very intimidated by the level of work and especially the man, that poor man who didn't know how to open his computer, he was lost. He was completely lost. Um, and I could tell right away that, you know, that their claim of being able to teach anyone how to code, no matter what your level of knowledge of computers, really probably was not going to turn out like that because they did not go over just computer basics. I knew that the enrollment in the class was going to drop off significantly, and it did. Mm -hmm. It did pretty quickly. Okay, and so time goes on, the class goes on. Uh, it sounds like maybe they can't teach anyone who to to learn to code, so to speak. But they are teaching, you know, uh, a class still. Um, Correct. Where where are you at towards uh, the end of your your time as a learner with Mind Minds? Well, what they did is they taught us. Um, Ruby, which is a lesser known and lesser used programming language. Some of the programming basics we learned, I had learned them in previous academic classes, but we did learn them, you know, about how to set up um, a function, how to call a function, how to set up a series of functions in a class. Um, the thing that we yeah, the thing that we had that we did not learn that I had fully expected us to learn were more of the more common programming language languages. In particular, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, as well as the programs that allow you to actually create an app for an iOS or an Android system. Most of the learning was here's the concept, here's what we want you to do, here's what we want you to create, now go do it. With no other direction other than if you have an issue or if you have a problem, you need to Google it. 
was one of the eight people who graduated. Um, and we had a nice little graduation ceremony at the state capitol at the cultural center. Senator Manchin was there. There were lots of news stations there and all of that. Um, I completed everything for the class. I didn't have a whole lot of problems with, there were a couple of concepts that I really had to work at, but that kind of stuff kind of comes easy to me. So um, I was looking forward to hopefully, you know, being accepted as an apprentice and learning even more, working on more like real life, situations rather than building tic-tac-toe, I was assigned um, a work partner, and we worked on a redesign of a website for an existing company. Um, they had their, they had, had a graphic designer on staff, and the graphic designer had basically designed the website, and we needed to make the website looked exactly like what the graphic designer had done. And were you, did, did you feel prepared to take that on when you started going? I was very intimidated, very nervous about it, because that was pretty much 100% HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And... I was somewhat okay with HTML and CSS, and I felt zero confidence with JavaScript. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was tough. It was tough. One of the things that they had, and this, this, this was really unsettling, they had a monitor on us in the Clendenin office during working hours, a video monitor, so that they could see and hear everything that we were doing. Really? And it connected to what, another, it, it fed into their laptop or something like that? Yes. Well, there was also a monitor, yeah, there was, there was also a monitor in the Waynesburg uh -huh. office. At that time, there was just Waynesburg and Clendenin. Um, but and they could pull it up on their computers or phones or, or anything. So, you know, they would, um, you know, be able to, you know, watch us at any time to see what was going on. Huh. There was one occasion where we were all working and all of a sudden Amanda came on the screen and said, somebody... We had all turned in our time, you know, we had to have it in by a certain time to, in order to get paid, which is, you know, really common. She said, somebody in the Clendenin office has overstated their time. And if that person doesn't fix it, they're getting fired. Wow. So we're, we all just kind of sit back and look at each other and like, was it me? You know, because overstating your time didn't necessarily mean that you were going into overtime. You know, overstating your time meant that you were putting in time for which you couldn't provide any work product. 
that is not the way to go about solving a problem like that. You know, I sat there going, why is she throwing this out to everybody when it was one person and she could just text that one person and say, hey, let me, I need to talk to you about your time, you know, rather than say, whoever did it and you know who you are, you better change it or you're fired. Yeah, it seems pretty harsh. Do you think there is maybe anything behind that decision to make that statement? Power. Hmm. I think it, it was a power play. The working environment was very much like that. You never know when you would get disciplined for something that you didn't realize that you were doing. So as time went by, uh, from what I understand, you were both doing this development work, but you, because of your experience with nonprofits, you were also spending time with Amanda and Jonathan kind of talking strategy in that regard uh, with their own organization, right? Once I became an apprentice, they realized that they were not registered to do business in the state of West Virginia. <laughs> so I actually set up the Mind Minds Foundation as a, um, as a foreign um, entity doing business in West Virginia and got their, their, their Secretary of State filing, their business registration um, filing, and, you know, all of the various tax department unemployment, that kind of stuff that... Um, that has to take place. There was one um, long phone call that I had when we were talking about grants and what a nonprofit organization needed to do internally in order to be able to facilitate a large grant. They told me that they were in the process of applying for a large grant from the Appalachian Regional Commission, and which is a federal entity, and that they wanted to be the lead organization applying for that grant. What that would mean is they would act as a quote-unquote fiscal agent, and then the money would flow down from the federal government into my mind's books and then be distributed to their partner organizations. But in order, and it was, this was a large grant over a million dollars. In order to be eligible or to be able to facilitate a federal grant of that size, you have to have all your ducks in a row and you have to be prepared to follow all of the policies and procedures that the federal government requires in addition to what you currently have 
you know, instituted for your or, own organization. I had already been joking with them that they keep no records. And it suddenly became not very much of a joke anymore. Right, exactly. And I flat out told them, I said, okay, number one, I do not recommend you be lead on this ARC grant because you're going to have to change the entire way that you do business. And it's going to be hard changes. And I don't think you you have the capacity right now to be able to do that. Let somebody else be the lead, and then you just apply to that other organization for funds that you need as you, you know, work the goals of the grant. I said, please don't be the lead on this grant because it, 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 it's just a horrible idea. So they actually took my advice. I don't think they realized that, that, that they would actually really have to change everything they do. They would have to change their, almost like their business model. They would have to have to make adjustments. Um, you know, they have, they had the, the nonprofit organization, but then they also had a for-profit consultancy. And I never looked at their accounting records, okay, first of all. But from what I could tell, they were paying, at least the, the apprentices were being paid from the for-profit accountancy, but being counted as apprentices of the nonprofit, in particular because our 1099s were from the nonprofit, even though all of the payments that we received were from the for-profit. Hmm. Okay. So in order to have a clear trail of doing that, there would have to be money exchanged back and forth, or the money would be commingled, which is like a huge no-no. So, you know, I hope to God they didn't do that. So I know that if they if they were ever audited by the IRS, that would be an issue. And that, you know, by doing things that way, that tells me as a CPA that that's probably not the only thing that they're commingling or that they're, you know, paying one out of the other or, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul or whatever it is that they're doing that the payroll situation is not one instance, that it's happening in other areas of the operation. I could tell that they, they did not have strong policies and procedures. And, and, I mean, it sounds like, you know, all those accountants being picky, but there's reasons to have all of that. And if you don't have it, you're not going to succeed in the nonprofit world. Well, you know, one of the major concerns that I immediately had was the first time that they had us fill out paperwork um, in order to be paid. Because typically when you start a new job, you have to fill out that god-awful W-4 form that nobody knows what to put on there. 
um, and an I-9. So you have to have all your copies of all your documents and all of that. But they were having us fill out a W-9 form instead of a W-4 form. And that told me something completely different. A W-9 form is is a vehicle for an employer to get your name, address, and social security number or your federal ID number. So that tells me that we were going to be paid as contractors, not as employees. There's a big distinction. And I got to put my CPA hat on for this one. The IRS has a 21-point test as to whether or not someone is an independent contractor or an employee. And some of those things are, does the employer control the work product? Does the employer control the schedule? Does the employer provide all the tools? So basically, you know, does the employer, you know, receive all the money and then, you know, give the money out to the contractors. So, for example, if you're a hairdresser and you go to work at a hair salon and you rent a booth and you make your own appointments, your customers pay you, and then you either pay, you know, like a percentage of what you bring in or a set amount for your booth rent, you're an independent contractor. Same salon, but appointments are made at the front desk. You are given hours that you're supposed to be there. And when people leave, they pay at the front desk, and then you receive your portion of that after the rent's taken out. You're an employee. That's because the employer controlled the schedule, controlled the money, and basically controlled the work product. In our case, we brought our own laptops to work on. So we were bringing our own tools to work on. So that is in the favor of the independent contractor. However, our time to be there at the Clinton office was strictly controlled. That we had we had to be there at a certain time and we couldn't be late. Also, we did not control our own work product. That was monitored on a day-to-day basis. We had to report um, back to them on a day-to-day basis where we were. You know, they had had the right at any time to come in and look at what we were doing. Um, And because they had so much control, if audited by the IRS, they would never get away with, with the apprentices being independent contractors. Now, the attraction of having everybody paid as independent contractors is that they're not then liable for payroll taxes or to pay, you know, um, unemployment insurance or workers' comp or any of those extra expenses that come with having employees. With an independent contractor, you just, you know, write them a check for $500 and they're responsible for their taxes, whatever those may be. 
So we were paid as independent contractors. Now, I knew that with my existing practice, because I'm paid, that's how I am always paid as an independent contractor. So I knew that I was set up to be able to handle this extra income and not incur a huge tax debt. But one of the biggest problems in my tax practice is when somebody brings their taxes and they have a 1099 miscellaneous, which is given at the end of the year to each independent contractor reporting the amount of income that they earned. Most people don't realize that when you get a 1099 or you're paid as an independent contractor, that not only no taxes are withheld that you're responsible for, but there are other taxes that are incurred that you're also responsible for. So when you get income like that, it seems like your tax bill goes up from maybe you know an effective rate of 10% to what may seem like 35 or 40% unless you plan accordingly. So I tried to advise everybody about how to set up, how to set themselves up and what to keep track of in order to minimize the taxes that they're going to have to pay. It really bothered me that they declared us as independent contractors because we weren't in the, you know, in the essence of the whole thing, we were employees, not independent contractors. And I know that that may seem like a small thing, but in my world, that's a big thing. That's a real big thing. So I guess if I could just, let me see if I could understand this. Not only were mind minds, not only were they not being compliant with, uh, you know, proper best practices and correct practices regarding how they pay their employees and file their taxes, they were also setting their apprentices up for a future situation which would incur quite a bit of taxes on them that they weren't necessarily prepared to deal with. Exactly. You know, you get a 1099 for $10,000, you know, which some people earn that and more. That's a huge chunk of change on, change on your tax return. And, you know, the majority of people, they weren't working before. They didn't have the money to be able to pay these taxes. So, you know, the ones that I know of all had to file installment agreements. And they're still paying for them. So that that wow. that issue probably bothered me more than anything else. So, um Unlike a lot of people who went through the program with whom I've spoken, you parted ways fairly amicably. I did. I yes, I did. Um, there was a t- there was a day in June of 2017 where Jonathan came to the Clendenin office by himself, and 
we knew that when that happened, that something was going to happen, that he was, you know, there for a reason. Um, Amanda wasn't the type to deliver bad news or to handle the hard problems. Jonathan always did that. So he had meetings with all of us individually and, um, there were several people that used to be at the Waynesburg office that were working out of the Clendenin office then. And there, one of them was fired. Um, I went next and I had a conversation with John and he asked me how I thought things were going. How did I get, you know, do with, you know, cause I did all that it, through tax season, which was a little difficult. And um, I had also been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease on all of that. And my mother had a major heart attack. So, so yeah, it's, it, it was kind of a stressful time. But, you know, I told him, I said, I feel like I'm doing okay. You know, I really wish that I had more time to devote to the personal development because, you know, it interests me and there's certain areas that um, that I really want to um, to focus on and learn more about, you know. But I'm have at, at times I'm having to choose whether or not to work at that or to you know accept a new client for my you know for my practice. And so you know it's kind of you know catch twenty two and kind of a fine line that I walk. And out of the next breath, he, you know, he's like, well, we've decided to, um, to end your apprenticeship, but we'd like you to stay on for, you know, about, you know, two to three weeks to get things wrapped up and, you know, this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> and so it took you by surprise. It took me very much by surprise because a week earlier he had asked me to help them increase their client base in the Charleston area. To which I had had a lot of ideas about how to do that. But anyway, I went back out and, and I said, well, you know, I just kind of got two or three weeks notice. You know, I was kind of processing it and, and all of that. And, it took me a couple of days to really kind of process it. And I had, you know, some conversations with, you know, some of the people that did not get talked to that day. And, you know, I was really kind of upset about the whole thing, even though there was, you know, all of this, you know, hostile working environment and all, all this other stuff. I really, I kind of enjoyed the work and, kind of enjoyed, you know, the opportunity to learn. And, and even though a lot of it was, you know, them just saying, here, work on this, and I would take it upon myself to learn, you know, I was really kind of upset. It's like, they don't want me anymore, you know, that kind of thing. And um, one of the guys that I, that I had talked to, um, talked to Amanda and, um, you know, and told Amanda that I was really kind of upset, you know, uh, you know, about having to leave. And she called me and she said, well, you, you know, 
you don't really have to leave if, you know, if, you know, we thought that you felt that you weren't able to service your CPA clients and this, that, and the other, but you, you, you don't have to leave. So I was like, okay, cool. That's great. And then two weeks later, my puppy pulled me off of my front porch and I severely broke my arm and shoulder, which required a hospital stay and two surgeries. Uh, must have been a really tough period. Yes. When, after that, I just really kind of never went back. Right. So looking back now, uh, how do you view your experience with Mind Minds? Overall, and given the fact that I'm not doing any coding now, it was an absolute waste of time. Sure, I gained some knowledge, you know, about Ruby, which is like never used anywhere. If I applied myself, I could, you know, do an online course for another language. Um, but at this point, I have no desire to apply myself to do that. Um, I know that they have said several times um, in, in comments that, you know, some of the students, you know, got, you know, something from them because they were, you know, able to change jobs or, you know, work in a different working environment or that kind of thing. That didn't apply to me at all. Um, I was older than both Amanda and Jonathan and had more work experience than the both of them put together. So that absolutely didn't apply. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have. Now, I will say this, the, the, the people that were in the cohort were absolutely wonderful people and I'm still in touch with many of them and consider them dear friends. So that's probably the only positive thing that came out of the situation. And I have a framed certificate on my wall that says I'm a full stack developer. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> uh, well, Susan, thanks so much for getting in touch with me today. You are very welcome. I am more than happy to participate in this. You have been listening to Code Burst. My name is Henry Kronk. A text transcript of this episode is available at elearninginside.com. I'd like to thank Susan and all the other former learners at Mind Minds who have been in touch with me lately. Uh, this show's logo was designed by Katrina Gibbs, and the music you heard was made by Daniel Monkman who is currently playing as Zoon, that's Z-O-O-N. Since the first episode of Code Burst came out, Dan has signed with a label and put out an EP called Bleached Waves. That's bleached like with laundry, waves, W-A, 
two V's, E-S. You can stream that on SoundCloud. Zune is currently working on a follow-up album, and that will be available in the near term. If anyone would like to get in touch with me, please follow me on Twitter. I'm at Henry underscore Kronk. Or shoot me a message at henry at elearninginside.com. That's my email address. Please do not hesitate to reach out. I would love to hear from you. Once again, this is Code Burst. My name is Henry Kronk. Thanks for listening.